many of us were deciding our, uh, <clears throat> our subjects we wanted to speak on during this series, I, I got to thinking, and I don't know that I've ever taught a class on the prodigal son. Many times I've heard speakers refer to the prodigal son, but as far as a, a complete lesson, I, I, don't, I can't remember. But tonight, I, that is the subject I would like to cover. I have a uh, hard group of men to follow, though. Joe having the last one, and Ron, there's many good lessons been taught. But tonight, we want to look at Luke chapter 15. I'm sure you're familiar with it. And this is a three minute reading, and I would like to go through it rather quickly. And then we will, we will talk about it. But Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, and had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and am no longer to be worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older brother was in the field, and as he came and drew near into the, uh, to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, 
and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. Some describe this as, uh, as our lesson tonight is entitled The Prodigal Son. Others may call it the, the Lost Son. And then there is others that may say this is the prodigal of a loving father. <clears throat> I read one division of this parable, uh, and it was broken into seven, seven parts. One is desire. Number two is departure. Three is destitution. Four is degradation. Five, despair. Six was decision. And number seven was delight. The Jews in the Old Testament, they knew God as Jehovah. But through Christ, Christians know Him as Father. As early as Matthew 5, Jesus begins to refer to Him as Father. And He came to show us God. And what He showed us was a God that was anxious to forgive man. So as we begin this evening, uh, I would like to begin at verse 12. This is the desire we see in the, the young son, the beginning of sin. There's no details as to why he wanted his share, but you know, we probably could read between the lines. As most young people are, they're a little anxious to get out on their own. He may have grown it. Uh, grown impatient of parental care and authority. Perhaps he was selfish or willful. He did not appreciate his father as he should. Maybe there was some alienation. But spiritually, how well does this describe man who wants to be free of God? In the past, we can see this in, in all through the Old Testament how that he wanted not only to be free of God, but all the responsibility that pertains to God. So in verse 13, we see the departure, the journey of sin. And he begins this journey in a far country. It does not say that he left home, but he, it says that he left home and went into a far country. It was in his mind not only to be away from his father and out of his sight, but to be without any, any authority of his at all. So he goes to a far country. But you know, a far country, spiritually, is whenever God is forgotten. Whenever we turn our backs on God, whenever God is neglected or, re or rejected, we are in a far country. Then we see in, in 14, the destitution. We uh, see the sons experiencing the wastefulness of sin. He squandered his property. He spent everything. And it's just, as a child just wipes the crumbs off of his cookie, it's all gone, everything he had. It could be that his father divided among his sons what this son could take with him as far as uh, perishables that 
or money that he could spend easily. Surely he didn't take any property, large property with him. But uh, the Jewish laws concerning his inheritance, if there were two sons, the oldest son would have gotten two parts. This son only got one-third of his father's livelihood. But without any income at all, it did not take long for him to be without. He squandered his property. Spiritually, it means that sin robs us of every valuable and worthwhile possession and quality. How many young prodigals uh, through the ages past have wasted everything they've had? They've wasted their substance, their purity, honor, talent, responsibility, personality, influence, and riotous living. I think you could probably all refer to this as reckless extravagance. Too many times, life itself has been wasted. Next, we see the degradation, the humiliation of sin. A great famine arose. He began to be in want. Famines are terrible. Uh, People had to suffer back then. There was no highways and roads and waterways that other countries could pour food into a country that was that was under uh, such conditions and, and this this life they just had to suffer through it there's always at least a famine or at last a famine in a far country this often brings sinners to spiritual impoverishment and humiliation it will also bring them uh, to a physical deprivation. In this condition, he went and joined himself, literally pinned himself to a citizen of that country. He sold himself as a slave. The way this is, word join is used, it's not like uh, he reached an agreement. In a way he did, but he more or less forced himself on an individual that really didn't care if he was around or not. But he joined himself or pinned himself to that citizen just to try and survive. He yielded himself a slave, which uh, to many he may well have represented, this may have uh, represented the evil one. In Romans 6, uh, verse 16, Paul stated, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to uh, to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey. And this is what he's done. He's made himself a slave to this person. Notice that the citizen regarded the pigs more valuable than the prodigal. There was plenty of food for the swine, but the prodigal could starve. You know, swine was an un- they were unclean animals to the Jews. And here he's taken which probably a Jewish son and has put him to feeding the swine. Next we see the despair. The prodigal was, he was lost to spiritual degradation. He was lost because he had bound himself to the evil one. He was lost to his father. He was lost to himself. He was lost to his future. 
He had already received his, his inheritance and had wasted it. He was lost morally and eternally. But in verse 17, we see him as one repenting and returning. He came to himself. The time had come for something to be done. And is sin not madness? Is it not insanity? How many times have we heard people talk about their past life? And, and many people you, you find you can't believe they actually live that lifestyle, but they'll reflect back and say, I don't know what was, what was in me then, you know, how I ever lived that way. And it is madness. But it had to be a glorious moment when the son, uh, for the lost son, when reason finally broke through the hardened crust of passion and selfishness. They often say that the longer you continue in sin, the, the harder the shell becomes to try and, and break through. But it must have been a glorious moment when good training and providence haunted his memory enough to make a change. It must have been a glorious moment when the voice of conscience finally shouts loud enough that the ears finally heard it. When we finally receive that image, that specter of spiritual death standing before us with staring and unblinking eyes, it's time to make a decision. Men finally begin to come to themselves at that point. Next we have his decision, verse 18. He made the decision of repentance. It was a decision to confess his sins and his unworthiness. It was an actual turning back to the Father. In verse 20, he arose and came. This was the fruit of repentance. Repentance is genuine only when it's translated into action. I don't know how many times in the past I, I remember someone coming down the aisle at the invitation song and they've done it many times because it's, it's in your memory that six months ago they were walking down that aisle and they have the thought in their mind, well, you know, I've given this a lot of thought and I need to respond to the invitation. And, you know, it's not responding or it's not reporting that God is after. It's not the thoughts he's concerned with, it's what's in your heart. And it was in the prodigal son's heart. He, he finally came to himself to, to repent. You know, Christ suffered and shed his blood, but he, he began shedding his blood before he was nailed to the cross. And it's because of what was in his heart the psalmist made this statement in Psalm 38, verse 5. My wounds are, are foul and festering because of my foolishness. And skipping down to verse 8, he says, I am feeble and severely broken. I groan because of the turmoil in my heart. Jesus said in Matthew 7, at verse 6, 
Uh, I didn't mark that one. 7 at verse 6. Mark, I'm sorry, Mark 7, verse 6. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written, this people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So it's important here in this instance that we see that the prodigal son had a totally change of heart. Next we see uh, the forgiving father, the, the whole parable centers back towards the father. He saw a great way off. Now, he sees him afar off, and why is that? But because he was looking for him. How many hours had the father spent by the window? We don't know. But he's hoping that at some hour his boy would come over the hill can't remember all the stories I've heard of soldiers that have been missing in action for years, World War II and even, even earlier, and parents that they don't give up. They hope one day they'll return. Or in today's case, not only is it the soldiers, but we also have so many that are runaways, and so many are, are taken prisoners as slaves, even here in the United States. They're, they are turned over to uh, pornography industries or prostitutes. But there are parents that still are home and they're hoping that one day they will see that child come through the door. More importantly, we see how the father yearns over his lost children. In Jeremiah 3 Verses 12 through 14. We read, Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return, backsliding Israel, says the Lord. I will not cause my anger to fall on you, for I am merciful, says the Lord. I will not remain angry forever. Only acknowledge your iniquity that you have transgressed against the Lord your God and have scattered your charms to alien deities under every green tree, and you have not obeyed my voice, says the Lord. Return, O backsliding children, says the Lord. So we see a father that is waiting for his children to return to him. The elder brother, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead. As the father sees this this son approaching, he has compassion. When the father's searching eyes fell upon the, the worn, weary, and sick boy coming over the hill, he knew him. He looked so different from the richly dressed young man that left his house. Perhaps he was even riding a, a well-groomed horse as he left. We don't know. But now then, he is weary and tired sick. He looks so differently. But the father ran, embraced him, and fell upon his neck and kissed him. The prodigal walked slowly, but the father ran. Even with a smell of swine, 
on the son, the father planted a kiss of welcome upon his cheek. He had been with all the unclean swine and probably smelled like them, but the father still still loved him and still fell upon him and, and hugged him. Will God run? I think we can see that God will run to save a sinner. The father makes haste. I don't know that I can remember the proper wording of the Eastern proverb, but it was something like, uh, even when one will walk an uh, inch near me or come toward me toward a, uh, by an inch, I will come toward him by an L, which I had to look that up. That is, uh, in English standard, it's about 45 inches. But he continues to say, one that will... Uh, walk toward me, I will leap toward him. Speaking of, speaking of God. It says that the, the father restored him. He, restored, he was restored to his sonship. The boy had nothing coming to him at all when he uh, approached his father. But no sooner had the son confessed, I'm not worthy to be called a son, is when the father interrupted. Bring the best robe, the ring, the sandals, kill the fatted calf. The ring signifies the restoration of the son. So he is he showing that his son is completely restored by his servants bringing him a ring. So much more restored than we deserve, spiritually speaking. Is this not a picture of divine grace? Twenty-four is the delight. He rejoiced. This shows the measure of the Father's estimate of danger, the waste and lostness of sin. It shows the measure of His unquenchable love. But wouldn't it be wonderful if this story were to end right here. But at last we see what we would refer to as the pouting Pharisees. Jesus told this story and the one of the lost sheep and the one of the coin, the lost coin, in answer to the Pharisees' complaint. He was receiving the publicans and sinners. Not only does he receive them, but he's eating with them. The elder, the elder brother depicts the Pharisees. He felt good about himself, and he, was, he felt he was deserving. It appears he was outwardly, but his spirit, his words and attitude were wrong. The elder brother was unforgiving. He would not call him brother, he referred to him as this, your son. There's a tragedy in an unforgiving spirit. The elder son misrepresented the father. You never gave me a kid to, to kill and share with my friends. He had forgotten all about his inheritance back in verse 12. He was unloving. It was clear that he never really loved his brother 
Could this have been the reason perhaps the younger brother left home? Let us not over, overlook the father's patience that he also has with this son. See, God loved the Pharisee also. With tender loving words, he tries to draw the elder brother into the spirit of compassion, love, and forgiveness. I made a note here in, uh, in this reading that in Luke that the, uh, the elder brother addressed his father verse 29 he said he addressed him by starting off saying lo lo these many years I've been serving you and he referred to his brother as the son of yours but notice what the father did uh, says in verse 31 he said to him son he let him know that I'm addressing you properly you did not address me properly and then in verse 32 he said, it was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother. He reminds him that he is his brother. Your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is now found. Consider these points in this Maxwell story. The Father's compassion and restoration is not limited to our sins only but to our disappointments, our problems, our sorrows, and our challenges. We should beware that while avoiding the lifestyle of the prodigal, we should not be engulfed by the lifestyle of the Pharisee. There is more hope in this case for the prodigal than there is the Pharisee. We need to realize where the real values are. They are in the Father's house, the Father's love, in the right spirit and relationship with the Father. There isn't anything either in the far country or in Phariseeism to compare with this. Let us avoid the waste of the prodigal son and the blindness of the Pharisee. I'm a little early, but I thank you for your attention. We appreciate the very fine lesson Steve has presented on a very, very powerful passage of Scripture, no question about it, and he has brought out excellent points that all of us should be uh, appreciative of and reminded of. It's rather ironic that the prodigal left home and was saved, and the elder brother stayed at home and was lost, and uh, what an irony that is. You don't have to leave home to be lost. <laughs> And in this case, the elder brother had that attitude, as Steve pointed out. 
of the Pharisees. And there's no question about the application of it, as Steve pointed out, that the Lord had in mind the Pharisees as he talked about the elder brother. You know, when you think about these parables, and I plan to use some parables in the coming years, I'm planning sermons for 2014, the miracles of Jesus, some of those and the parables of Jesus. But just when you read, as Steve did, and I'm glad that he took us through the reading itself at the beginning of the lesson, because that's, that's important that we read the scriptures and, and fully appreciate the kind of teaching that the Lord did in this and, and other parables and everything that he taught. It's no wonder that um, we read when the, uh, the Pharisees and the scribes had asked their officers that they had sent to take Jesus when they, when he came, when they came back empty-handed and they wanted to know why you're empty-handed. What did they say? No man ever spoke like this man. And when you read a parable like this, um, it's not like something that someone other than deity would, uh, would be able to express with so much meaning. There's so many lessons that have been drawn from uh, just a few verses of Scripture because the Lord spoke them. And... Uh, it's true of all the scriptures, whether the Lord spoke them or not. He authorized them through the giving of the Holy Spirit. And um, that's why the Bible is like no other book. You can't read it like a novel and put it down and say, well, that was, that was a good book. Glad I read it in my lifetime. The Bible is totally different. And when you read uh, how the Lord dealt with his detractors and with his enemies and those who ultimately crucified him and how he responded to them and how he sought to reach them, um, he truly, truly spoke like no other man ever spoke. We appreciate so much this good lesson from Steve. Brother J.C., if he's well, is scheduled for uh, next week, and then um, uh, the next week is the holiday. Steve and I haven't talked about it, but I guess it'll probably be pretty much like the Thanksgiving situation that, that Wednesday night and the uh, New Year as well, uh, before New Year's. But, uh, but at any rate, J.C., if he's well enough, and we certainly pray that he will be, We'll have um, a lesson, I believe. I can't, I'm trying to think uh, what he told me his lesson was, but um, I can't Enoch. think. Huh? Enoch. Enoch, that's right, Enoch. And uh, that will be an interesting study uh, as well. It sure will. Um, does anyone? Yeah. Yeah, there'll be one more Wednesday. That's right, the, uh, the 18th. I've got to get uh, make sure we got somebody lined up for the 18th. That's right. There'll be J.C., then one more and then the two holiday periods that's right that's right anyone have any um, any comments or yes Tom I got a comment regarding what Steve said do what now I got a comment regarding what Steve said uh huh 